Well, hello there. This is very exciting because I've just started a voice memo recording with the default title of Universal Studios Florida, which can only mean one thing. I am inside Universal Studios Florida. This is Tom of the Park Crush podcast, actually in a theme park, and I'm joined by the one and only John Self. Hello there. Hello, everyone. Yes, he is actually in a theme park. I can verify it with photographic evidence. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. Although I think I'm going to have some competition on the theme park podcasting front because whilst waiting to ride Gringotts, a small child behind me, upon picking up his 3D glasses, turned to his parents and disapprovingly said, all of these rides are the same. <laughs> and I was like, this guy knows what's up. So, uh, but yeah, no, we've got some, got some decent rides done today. Uh, John kindly showed me the ropes to efficient boarding of Velocicoaster. And uh, you, you weren't lying, John. That ride was kind of crazily good. Uh, and you'd done, you'd done it like four times today. I have done it now four times today. I did it once yesterday. But it was three times this morning, once with you. And it's as good every time? Uh, yes. I think it's the launches that take you, catch you off guard. It's kind of like... I guess, uh, to me anyway, the launches are, are most comparable to stealth at Thorpe Park back in the UK. Yeah, you say that. We, in here, we compare it to Cheetah Hunt at Bush Gardens. Okay, yes. Now that you mention it, that, that does make some sense also. And I'm looking forward to doing Cheetah Hunt. But, but since you haven't been on Hagrid's yet, Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure TM, since you haven't been on that yet, it's more comparable to Cheetah Hunt. Right, yes. Well, I'm hoping... As of this uh, impromptu, unexpected dispatch, I'm hoping to do Hagrid in mere hours. So maybe once this gets sent back to Josh in the editing suite, he can, uh, he can maybe bolt some, some thoughts on Hagrid to the end of this. But uh, in the meantime, before all that, I think having done Velocicoaster, having done Hulk, Doctor Doom, Gringotts, I've, I've earned some lunch, and John, you're taking me to Toothsome's you are coming in on my 2 o'clock U.S., 7 o'clock U.K. time reservation at Tucson, which yeah. we need to race to because we're two minutes from 2 o'clock here. Yes, we'll, we'll pick up the pace. We'll pick up the pace. Uh, you know, I, I'm, go, I'm going in cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, the idea of going to a place that, to, to my untrained eye, is very much marketed as a dessert place for but a savory lunch sounds crazy. You are going with a theme park food blogger. Exactly, that's true. Although, you know, I've already had a look at the menu, just to reassure myself. And uh, I think the thing I've, I've earmarked for my order is one of the few things that you have not reviewed at this place. That is correct. I'm looking forward to see what you think of this, um, this uh, tuna concoction. Yeah, tuna concoction. And, uh, that's yeah. not the official name, everyone. No, although I, I think there are some concoctions of some description uh, that dessert menu looks pretty pretty crazy and the shakes and and all that stuff so uh, if i don't even, if i don't try some of that myself i'm at least looking forward to people ordering those things and, and seeing what they look like with my own eyes yeah our third party for this meal has told me we are definitely getting dessert okay oh that sounds like a threat well i was like um i don't know that we need dessert i was told we do Okay, well, well, we'll see how we get on, I guess. We're, we're coming up on the on Toothsome's now, so we'll call this for the time being. I'll be back later with a full stomach 
ready to board Hagrid, which I assume is the best the best time to board Hagrid is is well, on a full stomach. I don't mean to be a pastor here in the U.S. with my worldview, but your language choices there probably weren't great. But no, I don't think that might be the ideal time for you to enjoy Hagrid in a time where you can throw up when you experience all the all the parts of it. No, but you know, people said I was mad for boarding Velocicoaster after consuming a giant croissant moon cookie whilst on the move in the space of about three minutes. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say the cookie stayed in, so I'm sure I'll be all right. But we'll be back later here from Universal Studios. Park Rush in a podcast, uh, in a theme park even. Can't believe it. very much to my past self. I'm delighted to say that Toothsome was every bit as delicious as we could possibly have hoped and dreamed it might be. Wouldn't you agree, John? I would. I was rather pleased with my meal at Toothsome. I was going through the notes the other day looking through, but I, I was pleased with mine and even the, the dessert we had, the banana cream pie sundae or something like that even though it looked more like a banana split in my culture um i thought it was it was really really good yeah it was good uh hello everybody this is uh i I guess what we had just recorded in the park at the time i recorded it it was kind of intended to be this little bonus thing i wasn't sure exactly where it would end up but we've decided to use it as kind of the hook if you like for a, a whole a brand spangled new episode of the Park Rush podcast, uh, in my case, still from sunny Florida. And I really do mean sunny Florida. We have seen basically no rain in the uh, well, two weeks that we've been here now. It's kind of unprecedented for us. But uh, unfortunately, whilst coming at this time of year has been brilliant for the weather, it's been hell for the crowds. These theme parks are full. And stressing me out somewhat. Uh, so uh, John is here with me to um, talk specifically about our time because we had some shared time, of course, at the Universal Parks this past week and got to see for ourselves just how jam-packed they have been. It's been kind of mental, actually. And uh, John, just before we started recording, you were telling me uh, somewhat scarily, quite frankly, that this past week that we spent time together in the parks was actually quite a bit quieter than the three weeks previously at the kind of height of spring break. So, I mean, during your visits this past week, was it was it busier than you expected? It was it was slightly bigger, busier than I expected using. And there's I mean, I do use lots of different sources, but let's keep it simple so people can find it. Using the touring plan system where you grade a park expected crowd level between one to 10, and there's levels within that. This week was supposed to be an average of about a six over at Universal Orlando. I would say it was probably higher than that, but nowhere near a nine or or even remotely near a 10. Uh, 
um, whereas the weeks before were easily nines. Right. And yeah. so I would say the crowd levels were probably five to ten percent higher than I expected, but much lower than the previous weeks based on crowd level data. Mm. Yeah, it certainly feels a lot busier than we are than we have become accustomed to in our previous years coming to Florida and doing the theme park so yeah the aim of of this week's show is is as well as kind of talking about our experiences generally of the parks and um and perhaps most importantly of all some of the food that we that we had not just at toothsome's but beyond uh but yeah is to kind of get into why it's quite so busy and what the best strategies might be if you're heading out to uh, the universal parks in the coming weeks and months because it feels like there are a variety of factors that have contributed to it being quite so busy at the moment and none of them necessarily are going to go away anytime soon uh should just say as well hopefully audio quality isn't too bad for for everyone at home we are um, recording this on a phone in a slightly echoey room uh, straight from skype so hopefully everything whilst not as pristine as normal is still okay uh john you've written a pretty good article over at piratesandprincesses.net kind of outlining your what you would consider to be uh kind of sensible strategies if you like for people heading to universal and and i guess it could be most simply broken down as do you have early admission or not right because that yes makes a big difference as to what you would suggest people do at the moment um, since, and this is true at the Walt Disney World parks also, um, I've written a lot about that. If you have early park admission and Universal's early park mission is a little more, in some ways is very simple, in some ways is far more complicated than Walt Disney World's version. The general rule is always check to see what early park admission is because it may not be for every park at Universal, but it's been at Islands of Adventure for a very long time. I would anticipate it'll be at the Islands of Adventure until we reach Halloween Horror Night season. And then it'll probably stop at Islands Adventure and switch to Studios Florida. But that's a different tangent we can get into later. But at Universal, you get resort guests, the top two levels of annual pass holders usually, um, with some exceptions. People who book a vacation package at the area hotels. And some ticket agents have special deals with Universal that they can sell tickets with early park admission. At Universal, just to put it nicely, I think I joked with you, Tom, that Universal throws that early park admission like candy. Yeah, you, you missed the uh, bourgeoisie food bloggers off your list of people there who get in early. Yeah, but that's because they have an annual pass. Oh, I thought it was a whole separate category. It should be a separate category, <laughs> but it is not. So, But at Universal, it's an hour early, So, as opposed to Walt Disney World. So you're going to – if you are a non – for sake of discussion, we will say a non-resort guest. It's more complicated than that at Universal. A non-resort guest, you're an hour behind. Mm -hmm. So that means like when I did tests this past week and using data from previous weeks, if you have early park admission, you show up and you go to Hagrid, the Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure TM, and then you go to go to Velocicoaster, and then you go to Forbidden Journey, and then you circle your way back around Island Adventure to be ready to rope drop the Hulk because it won't open with early park admission, you can get all that done before 
the non-resort guests can even enter into an attraction mm. or yeah. you can or you can ride Velocicoaster three times. I, I think I did this on Thursday. You ride Velocicoaster three times. Um, then you go get a free get your freestyle beverage filled up. You check on the snacks in another place and then you line up to enter to go ride the Hulk. I did that easily. Uh, yeah. I wasn't even I wasn't even I didn't even rope drop that day. I showed up probably 10, 15 minutes into early park admission. But if you're not in the first group of early park admission, then heading straight for Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure is is a risky proposition. Yeah, and uh, just to just to say, John certainly knows what he's talking about when it comes to the refillable beverage flasks. You were you were absolutely on it uh, on that first when we were doing laps of the two parks with uh, Jeremy from I came for the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess our, each and every lap uh, that we walk around those parks is is up on his YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, John, you must have refilled your refillable drinks flask on that journey around the parks a good few times and, and made it seem like such good value. You'd almost be a fool not to get one of those cups while you're here, especially given it's quite so hot. Well, I mean... The, the struggle is, even though Universal has made it easier, which is going to be a problem in the long run, to just get water without needing them, if you have a freestyle cup and once you purchase it, it is $10.99 to refill it for the entire day. Each day is $10.99. Now, obviously, um, this will be a recurring theme because I have a Premier Annual Pass. I get 15% off of that. So with tax, because we have to tax everything in the U.S. here, um, yeah, it's annoying I, to even to us. Um, I pay under ten dollars to have my to have all, unlimited sodas the whole time I'm in the park and in City Walk. And when you price, like, say you want to get a banana icy or a Coke icy, that's five dollars and fifty cents before discounts. And I can get my Coke freestyle cup refill with icy drink too. So if you if you get two or three you get three beverages in a day you've already paid for it i on the other hand have a diet soda addiction so yeah. i am ref i am refilling that thing probably 15 times in a day <laughs> yes and as you pointed out because uh, i made the absolutely imperative uh, decision to go and get a bottle of water before mm-hmm. uh, partaking in a voodoo donut challenge with yourself and uh, xavier from universal food blog and that bottle of water, I mean, it it really should have been liquid gold for the price I paid yep. for it from, I think it was an Auntie Anne's uh, stand just across from Voodoo Donuts. And yeah, as you rightly said, the, the bottle of water is more expensive than the soda. <laughs> it's just yeah, but, uh, the, the premium bottle water, there are still some places at Universal that sell the non-premium bottle water. But oh, even, yeah. the non, even the non-premium bottle water, I think is three twenty five. Uh, US. I think it's, it's three fifty for a uh, Dasani. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was five for whatever I had. Or it's five for the H two O more premium. Yeah. Now, granted, I think it's probably better water, but is it really five worth five dollars? Of course not. No, <laughs> absolutely not. But uh, ju- just to buy um, my personal addiction, the the twenty ounce soft drink of either of zero of zero sugar variety if you buy that at universal it's four dollars and 59 cents i think right yeah so if i'm filling if i'm filling up my freestyle cup that's 22 ounces not that i would have measured it or anything that's 22 ounces 
Um, you do the math on that real quick and it easily works out to be a better deal if you need a beverage. Now, granted, uh, one day, oh, that was Friday, because on Friday I was in the park and didn't never fill my beverage. I just had water all day. You can also do that. Oh, oh, you can get water. You can, they'll give you free water, will they? Whether you've got a yeah. cup or not. Yes, for, uh, freestyle machines will give you free water in any any stand of any type at Walt Disney World, Universal, or SeaWorld will give you free cups of water just for asking. Oh, that, I did not know that. That is, we have spent yes. an extortionate amount on <laughs> bottled water. On the, where were we on the, oh, it was particularly bad on the, well, we were at Animal Kingdom the other day. It was very yes. hot, we were there for quite a long time. Animal Kingdom is and, like, the, uh, you're on the center of the sun. Yeah. And uh, God, we bought a lot of bottled water. That was uh, that would have been good to know that we could have just been getting it for free all day. Anyway, right. uh, we now don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you the water tastes great because Florida no. water is notorious for not tasting great. Sure. But this is why we usually recommend people to buy. I don't know if you have this in the UK. It's like Mio um, drink additives where you add you put an additive in the water to change the taste of it, huh. make it taste cherry kind of Kool-Aid or more like soda. We have, that's kind of big here in the U S cause we sports companies were producing it and then it became mass marketed to be just for the, everyone else. Interesting. No, I, I'm sure we do have stuff like that in the UK, but I guess I've just never really felt the need to investigate. Right. Um, anyway, uh, getting back to kind of strategies for descending on the park's early doors. Yeah, if I were going, if I were going to go, let's say you're planning a trip this summer, or you're planning a trip during the day for Halloween Horror Nights in September, October. If you're going Christmas week, um, and I can say this based on my profession and the office I'm currently sitting in, still pretty much in the same thing I wore this Sunday morning. Um, God bless you. Because, uh, you know, God, God looks out, for, God somehow looks out for people who make bad decisions. If you have to go during Christmas week, I can't help you. However, if you're going some other time um, and you're going during a time in which Islands of, which Islands of Adventure has early entry and Universal Studios Florida may or may not, I would recommend if you have early park entry, if you're brave and you're willing to do it, run to Hagrid's. And I do mean run. Yeah. Because um, people will run. It's old-fashioned rope drop where once they let you in, you can run. I would not recommend running through Lost Continent because they wet the thing down and you're going to fall, which I've seen many times and tried not to laugh. But the pattern shows that if you want to ride Velocicoaster. You can walk during early entry and pretty much walk on to Velocicoaster. I yeah. mean, I rode, I rode Velocicoaster three times in the space of about 40 minutes during early entry on Thursday. Mm, pretty good. Um, if you do not have early park admission to Island Adventure, I would not recommend that you go to Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure anywhere in Hogsmeade or Velocicoaster. I would recommend you turn left when you enter Isles of Adventure and get in line to go to the Marvel area, similar to what you guys did on that Tuesday. Yes, that worked out well for us. So um, we, we, we've got one more. We've, we've definitely got one more day planned as of recording at Universal uh, and Islands, uh, possibly a, a, a final, final visit later in the week. We'll kind of play it by ear. But our, our strategy based on what we've done so far for our last day there, we think is going to be to start uh, at Islands, but basically act as if Velocicoaster and Hagrid 
never opened. We are right. we are going to islands like it's early 2019 and we are doing Hulk, we are doing Spider-Man, we are doing Kong, we are doing the River Adventure. And uh, yeah, then at that point, we probably break for breakfast, we regroup, we see what's going on. Do we want to do some Zeus rides for the hell of it? Do we want to do the Toon Lagoon stuff? Do we want to head over to Universal and do Men in Black and stuff like that? But right. basically, we're not going to touch Velocicoaster and Hagrid until the afternoon because it seems to me like, and I think you've got, you know, you've seen data that backs this up, John, is that the queue time, certainly for Hagrid in kind of early afternoon, is at worst, as bad as it is first thing in the morning. When I say first thing in the morning, I mean 9 a.m. when most mm-hmm. people get into the park. Uh, and if it's not as bad, it might even be a little bit better, but it's almost certainly not going to be any worse. So there's really no value to, if you're going in at nine o'clock, going to Hagrid first, because, um, and as you've already said, it, it's chaos, but also just by the time you're off Hagrid, the queues have started to build at Hulk and at Spider-Man and uh, mm-hmm. other rides that you could have got done very, very quickly. Uh, well, well and, this and is not lost out really. This is similar to the, I think I want to give credit to someone. I think it's Becky over at touring plans. I, I apologize to the staff at touring plans. I can't remember. I heard her say this on um, some other podcast that will go nameless. that has me as a guest every so often. Also, um, she said, using the example of Disney's Hollywood Studios. She said, when you get to Disney's Hollywood Studios, your brain is going to tell you to rope drop Rise of Resistance. Mm. She said, don't do that. You need to, I think she said, your heart will tell you to do that. You need to trust the math. The math will tell you, enter Hollywood Studios, and I've tested this out, go to Tower of Terror, Rock and Roller Coaster, and then go to Toy Story Land, because... If you enter the attractions with the long wait, Hagrid's Magical Creature, Motorbike Adventure, Rise of Resistance, then you're burning up all your valuable early morning time. And when you finally make it to the lesser attractions, per se, their queues are so much longer. You've actually waited in line much longer than if you had done it the other way around. Yeah. And so there historically has been a – I know Seth Kabersky and I used to talk about this. Um, I'm doing a lot of name dropping today. I'm sorry. Um, oh, you're a popular guy. Well, or I know a bunch of people who know this stuff who've forgotten more about this than I know. Um, is he, there was always this, he would always show up in the, for Hagrid, he would always show up around 1130 or 12. And there would be a gap around that time in which the wait would be on like 20, 25 minutes. Now, I'm not guaranteeing you're going to get that because the system's different now, but it's something to kind of watch is the weight tends to go down about around lunchtime, but it's not going to be any worse than if you showed up at 9.15. Yeah. The other, my other input is, just to be fair, to argue the other side, if you only have one day at Universal Orlando, which, sorry, let me just be judgmental, why are you only doing one day at Universal Orlando? But if you are, Hag- Hagrid's Magical Creature Motor Adventure is the most vulnerable attraction, not counting Rip Ride Rocket, the most vulnerable attraction at Universal to weather. If it mm-hmm. rains beyond a certain level, it'll stop. If lightning's in the area, it must stop. And it takes about 30 to 40 minutes to restart that attraction from the time yeah. that it's safe. So it could be, if it goes down, it'll be down for an hour and a half, two hours. Um, now you you experienced and I experienced 
no rain at all in Orlando for an entire week, which I can't believe is possible. Yeah. Um, but if you only have one day, you might just have to suck it up and get in line. But just understand you're doing you're working against the math. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when so, yeah, the, that first day, I guess what we're planning to do for our last day at Universal Islands is it's kind of a mishmash of um, the days we've had there so far. So on our first day there of this trip, which was not the week just gone when you were there but the week before that so still technically kind of on spring break and it was very busy and we made the decision which proved to be a very good one which was to ignore Hagrid and Velocicoaster and we just did a as I said earlier that kind of 2019 era day at islands where I ended up getting an awful lot done actually but it was so busy actually that even once we got we got around a lot of stuff in the first hour and a half you know Spider-Man, Hulk, Forbidden Journey, River Adventure, Kong etc and once we'd had breakfast and crossed over to studios, to be honest, we weren't, we didn't get much done over there. It was so busy. We've got ET done, and I think, and Men in Black, and everything else was just too busy to consider, really. Um, but the next time we went um, as a as a family, so um, I've been three times so far, but as a family, we've been twice. Uh, so the second time, of course, I was with you and uh, and Jeremy. Um, we started at studios. Uh, with a view to then doing Hagrid and Velocicoaster in the afternoon. And when we went and did Hagrid, which was probably about quarter past 12, something like that, it was, yeah, about 70. It took us 70 minutes to get through that queue, which is as long as it would have taken, if not a little bit less time, uh, if we'd gone there at nine o'clock. So, yeah, I think the, the there's really no value in trying to do, going to, going to Universal with the mentality of let's get Hagrid done first. It's not going to serve you very well. Um, so I, I, I'm with you. I think uh, save Hagrid for a little bit later in the day once you've made, once you've taken advantage of getting there early. And the advantage in getting there early at the current time is that the wait times are short for everything right. other than Hagrid and Velocicoaster. Right. And if you have early park admission, you're staying on site. Get there <laughs> early. Take advantage of it. Um I wasn't in the first groups on Hagrid on Monday morning, um, but the actual wait was 12, maybe it was 12.5 minutes. I'll have to go back and check. It was about 12 to 13 minutes for me to get on the coaster, yeah. which, is a, which is a negligible difference. And then I went to go ride Velocicoaster and waited about the same amount of time, maybe a little bit longer. Mm. But But if you... If you arrive an hour after early park admission or you arrive 15 minutes after um, official opening, you're who cares what the posted wait is? You're probably waiting 75 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also worth saying, you know, we're, we're kind of grouping them together in terms of maybe how you should prioritize them. But I would say um, in the in the time I've been here, I would say generally speaking, wait times for Velocicoaster are coming in a fair bit shorter than Hagrid. Um, it, they're not. I don't think I've seen them get up past an hour, really. I mean, they, I think the longest I've seen them consistently is around 50, 55 minutes. But they also, they, they've quite often, when I've checked, been coming in a bit lower than that. I know when we did it, which would have been... Uh, this was the day I think you'd already done it a few times first thing in the morning, but by the time yeah, we did it, it together, it, it, yeah, by the time we did it together, I think it would have been about 
half past 10 and we queued what 35 minutes um i think it was 35 minutes i could go back and check i know it was less than i anticipated at that time of day mm. um, i would have expected about 45 minute actual wait but there's several reasons for that and then i'm going to flip the podcast and ask you a question here in a second but um velocicoaster loads much faster than haggard's magic haggard attraction does even though haggard attraction has that continuous moving loading loading station yeah um it's still not very efficient compared to velocicoaster um and um, velocicoaster is far more reliable than haggard's just in because there's there's not as many moving parts I'm trying not sure. to spoil spoil any attraction if anybody hasn't doesn't know what happens on on the Haggard attraction. It's an incredibly well themed story coaster, and if you're not if you've not heard the term story coaster before, get used to it. I hear there's some attraction over at Epcot that's <laughs> going to be that's marketed as a story coaster. And in fairness, from my friends who have already been on it, um, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is a story coaster. So it has aspects of being a coaster and aspects of being a dark ride. So just understand you have that phenomenon. And also, not as many people are willing to ride Velocicoaster, which spins this around to, hey, Tom, how was your, how thrilling was your ride on Velocicoaster? <laughs> very, very thrilling. It's one of those rides that's like, it's, it's happening so fast, you completely lose the ability to process anything that's happening to your body or mind and just when you think you may be about to process what may have just happened to you something else absurd has already begun to happen to you and prevented you from being able to think straight about the thing you might have been able to think straight about it's not like a ride where i'm trying to think of an example uh, but but there's no downtime you know there's no right there's no at no point is it like okay you've had you've gone very fast for 20 seconds but we need to slow down now there's a chain lift or something you know and you kind of have a moment to kind of refocus your mind and maybe look to the person on yep. your left and right and be like jesus this is intense right before you then tackle the next drop philosopher is just like hell for leather the whole time mm -hmm. uh those launches are astonishing and it says everything frankly that the only the only point of the ride that even comes close to something resembling downtime is when you are uh, at the very top of when you're at the top of the top hat and and and, and are about to come down the other side and you get what feels probably long like a longer period of time than it actually is to kind of look around and take in the incredible view of the park you know it's it's the best view in the park other than the top of Dr. Doom's Fearful and you have, well, like I say, what feels like longer than it actually is to kind of take that in and then you're off again at full pelt until you come back into the station at the end. It's absolutely incredible though. I, I've only, I didn't do it um, the, uh, the second day I was there with my family. Um, I sacrificed the Velocicoaster to come and uh, broaden my waistline and eat far too many voodoo donuts uh, mm -hmm. with, you, with yourself yeah yeah we can uh, circle so, back yeah. to that in a second as we sucked you into yes, that but of course for those of you who are coaster enthusiasts um the velocicoaster i'm not saying it's the best coaster out there it's probably not but 
Uh, it's very well themed for a coaster because coasters have natures of being hard to theme. But the important factor in this conversation is there is no brake run. There are no those setup brakes that slow you down. Mm. There's no brake run on Velocicoaster. Yeah. So there's there's two um, of the magnetic style launches. I don't know why I'm blanking on what those are called that are very common now. One starts you, and then there's one about halfway through that shoots you over the top hat. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there are plenty of fantastic coasters at the uh, Florida parks. I think in terms of kind of pure, relentless thrill i think velocicoaster is probably tops the list uh, as of recording uh i am going on iron guazi tomorrow is the plan i'll be very curious to see i don't it doesn't come close from what i've seen in terms of sort of theming of course but in terms of kind of thrill level i think that has a chance of of coming pretty close to velocicoaster so i'll be very curious to see how I feel doing that, that certainly looks like it has practically no downtime either. Right. And with um, the R, with the RMC technology, um, sorry, I may be, I'm sure your audience is familiar with RMC. They've, they've made a name for themselves, Rocky Mountain oh, Coaster. Yeah. I can't, Rocky I don't Mountain know Coaster Company, right? Yeah. Um, they've made a name for themselves taking wooden coasters that had reached the excessive rickety stage. Yeah. And and hybriding steel to merge them to being wooden coasters and like with steel, and the thrills are are quite frankly amazing. I'm very familiar with a similar one, Steel Vengeance at Cedar Point, which on the thrill scale I would list it ahead of Velocicoaster. Oh wow, okay. And Steel Vengeance right. is fairly similar to what Iron. It's the same technology, the similar setup to what Iron Guazi is going to be. I've not been on Iron Guazi, so. Sorry, no one pays me to write about food at Bush Gardens. <laughs> well, I mean, I believe they have a food festival of their own going on right now. Although if it's anything like the one at SeaWorld, whether or not I'll actually be able to get any of the food is a different matter. Right. Seems like it's completely luck of the draw whether you turn up and there's food or not. <laughs> so, yeah. And how much of a surcharge there may well be if the food is available as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll report back on all that. Although whether or not there is food, having it before Iron Guazi seems like a bad idea. That's probably not a great idea, no. Yeah. Uh, the final thing I will say about Velocicoaster is uh, you were certainly right, John, uh, about what you told me regarding the single riders line, which can be a lifesaver at certain uh, islands, attractions, Hulk being a, a good example. But you said on Velocicoaster there's, there's little benefit if any and uh, my dad and sister who did it while I was off eating donuts they did decide to go single riders and um, were in line for what for 55 minutes which was right. the advertised wait time for the standard queue so they were in the queue for just as long and missed the vast majority of the uh, the cool queue mm -hmm. theming so you know the animatronic raptors and whatnot you, you get the um you get parts of the pre-show again. I, you know, I won't go into specifics for fear of spoilers, but you know. Those, if you'd are, like, if you'd like specifics, go back and find the podcast, the recording I recorded for this podcast, oh, yeah. where I walked through the queue. Yes, I, I, I remember you doing that, not like because of course, you rightly 
pulled me up on the fact that I had clearly completely forgotten that you uh-huh. had done a similar reaction recording to the Bourne uh, Stuntacular back in well, the ancient times of 2020 times, when, yes. when that opened. Um, because, yeah, I did that for the first time the other week and, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was better than I expected, having completely forgotten that you had told me how good it was. It's uh, almost like people don't listen to me. I know it's weird. Oh, no, um, sorry, sorry. But back yeah. to your back to your single rider conversation. I've written a lot. Um, you can find it on touring plans. You can find it on pirates and princesses about single rider cues. The general rule is, and it, and there's some exceptions. I think Hulk is an exception, but. The math just dictates if there's only two people to a row, single rider is not going to help you. No. That means that means math wise, something less than one out of every three cars gives you a chance to even get on. Yeah. And so it's the same thing at Haggard's. Um, it's only two to a row on that one. So single ri- Universal offers single rider cues, if you're unfamiliar with those, to fill in seats because they have so many attractions that they can do that for. But the negative is people get in line assuming that the light weight will be shorter. I've timed it many times in which the weight is longer at Hagrid's Rip Ride Rocket and um, Velocicoaster. It's, uh, it's certainly good to know um, for Velocicoaster in particular because it, it would be very tempting for you know a new ride which has long wait mm-hmm. times to try anything that you might think will help you out in terms of cutting that wait time down. But single riders line seems like it's not going to be one of those things that might help you no. out there. So, um, all right. Well, before we talk food, just very quickly, actually, uh, this is a somewhat selfish question that doesn't really benefit the audience in any way, but I as a result of being on Transformers at a time where it broke three times in increasingly hilarious ways. Oh, you still have that? Okay. I, still, I got a free express pass to use on something. Unfortunately, anything other than the rides you might actually want to use it on. So I can't use it on Velocicoaster and I can't use it on Hagrid, uh, which by the way, if your, if your ride name is spanning two lines on your express pass <laughs> ticket, it's clearly too long. Uh, yes. That is because uh, I looked at it and it's like, huh, there's three rides I can't use this on. Oh no, wait, it's two rides. One of them is just has such a long name that it spans two lines by itself on this ticket. So yeah, what do you think is uh, what if, for a one-off express pass? It's been my first experience of a Universal Express Pass lane where I can kind of look disparagingly down upon all the peasants in the standard queue. You know, you mean like what I do? do? Think... I do all the time. Okay, so yeah. Um... Absolutely. What do I use that on? Do you think? Well, first, what you should have done was you should have you should have ridden a ride with me after four o'clock, and we could have ridden Express together, like I advised ah. you to do. But since you're probably going to do it solo, um, I'm thinking if the crowds are really busy, you should use it for Hulk because the single rider line will get backed up because of the metal detector. But I don't know what the crowd level will be, and I don't think that's probably a good use of it with the crowd level. Um, I'm I'm going around the park in my mind right now. Yeah, bear in mind as well. I mean, based on our strategy for for Tuesday, uh, which is the day we're going, uh, Hulk will get. We should get on Hulk pretty much. No problem. Probably be our first ride of the day so if i was to use it on hulk it would probably be to do it later in the day by myself right. maybe hulk by night if it's a well, nine o'clock yeah i was finish. gonna say 
but you're the only one in your group with an express pass ticket. So you're going to do something by yourself. So that's what I'm trying to solve. Yeah. Um, you could use it for Forbidden Journey, but I don't really like doing that as a single rider. No. So I'll move my way around the park. And I think it's going to have to be the Zeus trolley train ride. You know, that thing is. Uh... In fairness, that's not a terrible choice. <laughs> Um, because that wait can get really long if you want to do it in the afternoon. Who's <laughs> who's using an extra? I need to look. The people that you're using Express Pass to to skip the queues on Doctor Zeus rides. I want to look them in the eye and. <laughs> uh, let me say, with all respect, Zeus Trolley can reach a 60 minute posted wait easily. Yeah, what gives you the? How good do you feel like a good person right now, paying to get in front of these poor kids on these cat and hat rides? Um, Take a long, hard look at yourself. You say yes because you're going during the week and these kids should be in school. Um, (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah. I I think I actually have decided what you should do. You should use it for Gringotts. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a bad shout. Yeah. That might make sense. Because it'll be be faster than the single rider line and it won't be as awkward as those. You'll still have the stairs phenomenon, but won't be there quite as long. Mm. Yeah. Your other option is Rip Ride Rocket because they don't normally open the single rider line. Yeah, I, I kind of out of spite just don't want to go on that ride again this trip after our experience of going there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we kind of, Rip Ride Rocket kind of single-handedly got rid of our advantage. <laughs> yep. We went to Universal last week and, you know, we got there for nine o'clock for opening. There was no early entrance at Universal. We thought, great, let's get in here. Let's rip, let's tear this park up. We can do every ride in 90 minutes, probably. And then we uh, we thought, let's do the rocket first. And we did not ride the rocket until 9.45. And um, in hindsight, maybe we should have just left the queue. But, yeah, well, generally speaking, we are kind of, um, we don't subscribe to, what is it, the sunk cost fallacy. If we've, which is, you know, just because you've sunk a load of time or money into something, you feel like you should see it through, you know, don't necessarily do that. Um, But that was kind of the policy for us on Rocket. It very much was, well, we've been here half an hour. We're going to go on it, even if it takes forever. But it meant that by the time we got off that ride and went round to Gringotts, Mm -hmm. we were in that queue for... um, about 70 minutes, I think, which was the now, longest we'd queued for Gringotts in a very long time. Just for the record, I believe the night before you had a different plan. So I had no reason to believe you were heading to Studios Florida that morning. And uh, I yeah. would and I would have told you not to get on Rip Red Rocket because it's notorious for not opening with the park. Yeah. Yeah. And in fairness. Okay. I know that's me being an I told you so, but you did change your plan on me. We did, we did, yeah. The, the original plan was to do um, basically what we'd done the first time, which was uh, go to Islands of Adventure, pretending that Hagrid and Velocicoaster don't exist until the afternoon. But um, we made the what seemingly, you know, at the time seemed like a fairly logical decision to go to studios first because we hadn't had much studios time Yep. at that point. We hadn't done Gringotts, we hadn't done... Rocket, we hadn't done the Simpsons. There was other stuff we hadn't we hadn't done. Jimmy Fallon, Supercharged. Um, so yeah, oh yeah. Okay, just, okay, this is it. This is this really is the last thing before we talk about food. Um, okay. Supercharged. 
the pre-show. You mean Fast and Furious Supercharged? Yes. Um, the okay. pre-show, the car, the crew seem way more in on the joke of how stupid and bad the whole thing is than they were previously. Is that a relatively recent phenomenon that the crew members are essentially taking the piss out of how awful the ride is and how ridiculous the setup is? Or has that always been the case and I just couldn't remember? I can't tell you when it started, but it was pretty early on when it switched to a, hey, this ride is the lowest rated attraction in the history of the unofficial <laughs> guide to Universal Orlando ever. Yeah. And we even have creators at IAPA saying that Universal should not have completed this ride and they didn't do what they were supposed to do and they cheaped out on it and blah, blah, blah. Um, which I'm going to circle to some other news that may be news to you, actually, uh, regarding Fast and Furious. Yeah, the team members are told it's a campy attraction that doesn't make sense, especially now that we don't have 3D glasses. So... Vin Diesel is like 60 times human's normal size <laughs> because it was designed to be 3D for the video. And without the glasses, he's gigantically disproportioned. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I would like to say that Xavier of the Universal Food right. Blog, for, for, for research purposes, for studying the area for HHNQ, had made me ride that attraction twice last week. Well, I was I would, just going to say, Vin Diesel needs to be enormous so that he can get his, you know, his arms around his enormous family. For a that could be heart. true because it's family, you know, family. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, news, and I want to credit because um, I wasn't aware of this at all. And I've, since it is, sorry, for those of you unaware, my real job is as a minister here in the U.S. Today is Sunday. We are recording. Sunday evening, and so I have been busy for some odd reason. Um, and so, but I I haven't got to watch it, so I apologize, Alicia. I haven't got to watch it, but Alicia Stella, who's on top of these things um, through her sources in Hall in California, uh, released a video that Universal Studios Hollywood is getting a Fast and Furious drifting coaster. Oh, so there's going to be cool. some some type of coaster type attraction theme to fast and furious which brings hope that maybe someday in a galaxy not so far away the universal will abandon the fast and furious supercharged and, and cut and paste that at orlando also but but literally i have done no research on that and it is literally breaking news to me that i'm just giving to you right now well we appreciate that roving reporter and if I didn't say it, John I himself. want to make sure that Alicia Stella of Theme Park Stop gets full credit for that because I've messed that up before in articles and not linked her stuff properly. So I want to make sure that I give her complete credit for that. 100%. Uh, I will seek that out myself after this and make sure it goes into the uh, show notes. Uh, but in terms of other commendable theme park coverage, uh, when it comes to theme park food, um, John, you have written about some of the stuff that um that you had in in my in my company this past week that twosomes trip that we talked about i guess we'll start there you you wrote about one of the uh, i guess what was it around half dozen dishes at that restaurant that you had not yet had yes. you have since reviewed for pirates mm -hmm. and princesses being the the pub it up 
burger. But I think as it so happened, right, that the the three main meals that that we have between us, uh, the two of us plus Jeremy from I came here for the food. You hadn't reviewed any of those at the time. I had now the yeah the pub it up burger was let was carryover from um, my February trip. We just finally published that review. Um, right. I have not I have not written a review on anything we ate um, during this last trip. Oh, but, I see. So I was just I'm still catching up because the food reviews stack up because I get distracted with news information that pushes the food food blogs down. I have like a looking at my screen here. I have at least depending on which site it is, I have at least nine food reviews that are waiting to get published. Oh, wow. Okay. As we talk well, maybe, right now. Maybe we shouldn't speak in too much detail about the three sandwiches that we have. Well, I'm fine. I, I'm anxious to hear about your sandwich. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I just didn't want to sort of, um, you know, spoil what may be to come when it comes to your written reviews. Uh, but, okay, well, in, in my case, I had a tuna melt. I was in the position of, of course, I, I've got this, uh, you know, I'm not really eating meat at the moment. So, you know, but uh, kind of first, I remember the first time you invited me to come to lunch at Toothsome's and, and initial, my initial thought was, oh, dessert for lunch? Okay, sure, yeah, I can go for that. And then I kind of caught wind of the fact that, oh, they do savoury stuff, okay. And then when I first flicked through the menu, I was like, this is this has all got meat and cheese. Okay, let, let uh, me cut you off for a second. The title of the restaurant is... Tusum's Chocolate Factory and Savory Feast Kitchen. Is that what it says on the front of the building? That is not not what it says on the front of the building. It leaves off the word kitchen. Did I make fun of that during our trip? The title title on the building is Tusum's Chocolate Factory and Savory Feast. Is it? Oh. It just looks like it says Tusum's Chocolate Emporium to me. Yeah, that may be on the website. I may have that wrong. But the official title is Tusum's Chocolate Emporium and savory feast kitchen okay fair enough once that confusion was dealt with <laughs> i was able to identify a tuna melt which would be appropriate to my dietary needs uh, although i have to say i'm not generally a huge tuna eater either so you know it wasn't necessarily something that i would have ordered normally but it, it kind of caught my eye on the day and I went for that and it was it was very very nice actually I mean, it was not what I expected because it wasn't really a sandwich per se it was just sort of I guess it was kind of the innards of a tuna melt on toast it kind of looking at it appearance wise it reminded me of what they do with their french toast and I know I maybe this is the U.S. hybrid of food when I use the term french toast do you know what I mean not I, I think kind of because we had um uh where was this that we i think it was a theme park what theme park would it have been i can't remember but we had these kind of what we kind of decided were like french toast sticks almost yeah the french toast is so now using the analogy this will make sense the simplest way to explain it is i offend people in in the u.s culture with this is you're trying to create a pancake but you're just using leftover bread and you've added some some sugar and some cinnamon and you've maybe added some egg to the batter and you've kind of put that together and you've created a vehicle for syrup okay right. so that's why the that's pretty much what it is um Tusum has a couple of french toast items they create that one is really good the patty melt um french toast um to give you a frame of reference my wife had it one trip and she thought it was great i had some of it it was phenomenal 
It's Xavier of Universal Food Blogs, one of his go-to items at Tusum. It is a French toast not designed for syrup. It's designed to be a savory item. Your tuna melt reminded me of that with the setup and kind of some bread and then the egg on top. Mm. It reminded me of that. We're t- we've taken something and we've turned it into kind of a different savory treat. Yeah, that's uh, the 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 other place where we had these kind of breadsticks that were a bit French toasty, but not uh, not for a sweet dish. Was uh, Discovery Cove? Uh, yeah, they they served them up with their scrambled eggs. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, uh, but no, this tuna melt. So yeah, it was a it was a kind of yeah sl- a slice of kind of savory French toast, if you like, um, covered in a uh and i guess kind of a tuna i guess kind of like what you'd think of as a kind of tuna sandwich filling but there was plenty of it and it was kind of dolloped on there as if it was a scoop of ice cream think of it a bit like that uh a perfectly if i may say so perfectly cooked fried egg and some lettuce and tomato garnish and whatnot and um it all came together really nicely and it was far nicer than i expected if i may say so and um the egg as i say was uh, as far as i was concerned kind of the perfect fried egg that was a big part of why why i liked it so much and uh yeah i was very very impressed it seemed like pretty good value as well uh and it did come with fries which to be honest both to me and maybe a bit harsh but both to me and possibly to the chefs too felt like a bit of an afterthought like they were fine but i i kind of i i polished off that the tuna melt itself and then realized I hadn't really touched the fries and kind of thought, I kind of want to walk out of here with the tuna melt being the last <laughs> thing on my palate because it was so yes. good. But I, I guess I better eat these fries. Uh, and they were fine. Um, I can tell you from my experience with my fries, because all three of us got items with fries because of what we ordered. Um, the Tucson fries are usually above average table service fries. Yeah. Uh, mine were below average table service fries that day. Oh, that's a shame. So, but, which is weird because I've been writing a lot of reviews at Disney Springs and at Universal about the higher quality of food going to lunchtime versus later in the day. So I would have expected the fries to be better. Yeah, I've had some very good fries, theme parks and outside theme parks on this trip. And I'd put the toothsome ones towards the bottom of the list. Um, not because they were bad, they were just kind of unremarkable. They were just okay, but just... For frame of reference, I think you got that. I got the chicken cordon bleu sandwich, oh, and I'm blanking on what Jeremy got. But all of each of us, Jeremy think, had like a fried fried chicken thing, didn't he? That yes, he had like that. yes, yes, he did. I remember now. He, no, he had the ribeye steak sandwich because that was my second oh, choice. Okay. He had the ribeye steak sandwich. I had more of a, a fried chicken sandwich. Oh yes, and of course, and all of us, all of us. The items were probably $16 each, $16 US, for a table service dining at a theme park resort, literally walking outside of the park. Because Tom got off of Gringotts about 10 minutes before our time of our reservation. Yeah, and we were there pretty much bang on time. Yeah, we were there like maybe a minute after. Yeah. And so... Um, just for perspective, and this is me picking on Disney. Imagine what that would cost at Disneyland, because they have right. a similar setup there. 
I would say that each of those items would have been $23. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. So, and I'm thinking it, of the restaurant they would be at right now. They'd be about $22, $23. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because um, I was looking, kind of trying to get ahead of, you know, our plan for our final day at Universal is in all likelihood that it will be a long day that will see us have dinner uh, at the resort. Uh, either in park or or city walk so we've kind of got a few city walk options and then we were kind of trying to think about if we end up eating in the parks more of a quick service thing where we might go and a, a place like thunderfalls terrace for example which you recommended mm-hmm. uh, those prices come in actually a little bit higher than some of the That's... disney parks quick mm-hmm. service places we have been to including the satuli canteen um uh in in pandora uh, which was very good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yes, I, I'd imagine that, yeah, those city walk options seem like they would actually come in at, at better value than a kind of downtown Disney equivalent. But right. some of the in-park stuff actually seems to come in a little higher at Universal. Well, in this case, we're not comparing apples to apples. Mm. Um, at Thunder Falls, you're going to get um, a ribs platter or you're going to get what I would suggest, the rice bowl which comes with a, a high portion of, of chicken, um, plantains, and other things. A Thunder Falls is non-traditional theme park food. All right. And so, and so you're not comp- you don't compare Thunder Falls to Pecos Bill or Cosmic Rays or something like that. Um, yeah. You compare. I don't think there is a comparison. Satuli Canteen would be the best comparison, but it's not a it's not a direct comparison. No, and I, I thought my sa- I had in the Satuli canteen, I had a rice bowl with shrimp, which was very nice, but it wasn't a big portion, which was fine because right. I was portion... looking for a big portion. But yeah, yeah. The general rule is, and this is a wide sweeping generalization that I can think of 50 exceptions and something I should never say as a food blogger, but the general rule is Disney, once we eliminate burgers, fr- pizza, chicken fingers we eliminate those because universal will do those slightly better for slightly less money or about the same um the food comparable food at universal will have slightly higher port it'll have a higher portions portion size um have a lower price point but the disney food will generally be slightly better once we leave, once we leave the boring, you went to your, I, I can't think of the UK equivalent. In the US, we would call it your boring county fair, you know, your little, your little street vendors level of food. Once you leave that, then Disney's going to cost you more. You're going to get less, but the food's probably going to be better. This is also true at table service, except the price point difference can be as much as 75% more at Disney for the same thing. Right. So, I mean, to be honest, I, regardless of price or quality, I still just sort of feel spoiled that you get a bespoke, like Universal and Disney offer kind of bespoke burgers. Because walking yep. around Thorpe Park back home, I, I got a Burger King there last summer and it took so long to get my Whopper. I think they went to a local farm, killed a cow, cut mm-hmm. it up and cooked it themselves. It was quite frankly absurd. So, yeah. Just the fact that they're able to serve up a burger that looks like Mr. Toad in about five minutes or less is kind of impressive to me. 
Yep. So that's fine. Uh, so what's your plan in terms of uh, your coverage of what we ate at Toothsome's? Will you be will you be posting three articles or kind of a catch? Uh, I'll be you, you I'll, yourself only ate one of them. I'll probably be posting three because um, obviously I have more resources. I use a general rule. That's why I was taking notes there. I use a general rule of having four trusted sources before I do review on anything I haven't eaten at all. Oh, right. Um, and then I have three I use three sources of things that I have eaten. Obviously, I get to be the fourth source um, because like, for instance, I'm just picking something that should come out here pretty soon. Um, they took one of the food trucks from Mardi Gras and they modified the chicken biscuit and they made it different. And I think it's probably better, but it features having pickles on it and features the U.S. style dill pickles. I think they call them butter pickles, actually. I don't like pickles. Oh. I think the pickles are an important feature of that biscuit. So I waited to chat with other people who like pickles before I wrote the review. I know that one's been submitted. Um, based on the nature of what we had being more regular on the menu, because I have several things that are coming on and off the menu, like the the new vegetarian item at Today Cafe, um, that should be coming out soon. The new donut at Voodoo Donut, they'll be coming out in May. Um, I already have all the information. I'm just waiting for them to put it out so I can publish the article. The the twosome reviews will probably come out a little bit at a time. I try not to do a review of the same restaurant more than once a week. Sure. And the, and the theme park world, that can be tough. Yeah. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know. Once you've reviewed the boring burgers at Captain America Diner, they're the same boring burger they are everywhere at Universal. Once you've reviewed Cosmic Ray's boring burger, it's the same boring burger throughout all of Walt Disney World. And then obviously I collected quite a bit of more data. I'll be stretching out the reviews of Voodoo Donuts, which means I get to take over the podcast now and say, hey, Tom, how did you like your Voodoo Donut experience? Um, I must admit, I, I when I sat down, and saw Xavier bringing those boxes over. I can't lie to you. I did. I was thinking, what? Well, I should have gone on Velocicoaster. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? For those of you unaware, we sucked. We sucked Tom in to a food blogging challenge of having over thirty donuts from Voodoo Donut. Yes. Can you remember this house? How many there were specifically? I know you made the point that, much to my disbelief, given how many there were, that this was not the full. No, it's not Menu. the full. Uh, we took between us some very lovely uh, scenic photos of them all lined up on the benches outside the store. And we even took we even took photos of each other taking photos of the donuts outside. Yeah, and there's plenty of video. I don't know. I don't know what Xavier's plan is for rolling out all the video footage that he took on the day. Uh, just keep an eye out, I guess, on Universal Food Blog. I'm sure it will it will hit. Uh, I'm sure it will. all at once or in stages but that should be quite fun to look back it's a real proud thing to kind of you know if i ever have grandparents i'll pull up that youtube video and be like look what your grandpa did <laughs> mm-hmm. you're lucky he didn't die that day because uh, <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah there were a lot of donuts it was a difficult one you know i, I it was a, it's a difficult uh it's a difficult context in which to judge a donut because it, i was i was kind of there were certain donuts which because of because they were relatively understated 
in the context of them being the eighth donor out of 14, right. I think that I was there to sample. I, I had left before you guys had got through them all. So yeah, I think I sampled about 14 donuts. When you have, you know, I would not go to Voodoo Donut and order a glaze because I think, you know, what's the point of that? I could just get a glaze from Publix, you know, it's a, even if it's a nice glazed donut. But when it when I'm when I'm having a glazed donut after I've had eight crazy overwhelming donuts and i'm just thinking i can't eat any more cream i don't want jam i don't want another pretzel dipped in jam just give me something that my belly can recognize and and process in that context a glazed donut is great uh mm -hmm. and so in the context of of this kind of smorgasbord of, of donuts i would give that glazed donuts a 10 out of 10 but like i said I would not recommend to someone going to Voodoo Donuts necessarily to order a glazed donut. For, I think I said at the time, the glazed donut on a menu like that is for the person who gets dragged into Voodoo Donuts as part of a group of four or five who doesn't really want to be there. But the right. person buying insists they have something and they mm -hmm. therefore say, all right, fine, just give me a glazed. You savages can have all this other crazy nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when it comes to all the crazy nonsense, uh i don't know what my favorite one would have been I, I don't know if it would be fair to describe the apple fritter for example as an as 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 one of those crazy nonsense ones i think the crazy nonsense when it comes to the apple fritter is sheer is purely based on the fact that it is enormous uh, yes the donut I have itself is is not is not letting crazy, you behind the scenes it, i'm looking at my street yeah, I'm looking at my screen right now of all the photos of the donuts. I know this is a audio podcast and no one can see that. But yeah, there were the, the portion size of that fritter, which is a little <laughs> bit under, because that's the second day I'd had it. I had one with Xavier two days before. Right. Because we were comparing the Lard Lads apple fritter to this one. Um, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a little under $4 US and you could easily share it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely uh yeah i got for the first time one of my sort of if you like bucket list items to do on this trip because i've never done i've come very close a few times over the years but never done it was to buy the large lad big pink donut and i finally did that and i was just trying to think uh, it was nice by the way i enjoyed it but that was nine dollars and i'm trying to think of whether or not i mean that was probably about the same size as the voodoo apple fritter uh, uh that's got no. a hole in the middle no no but your comparison's not bad. I would, I would, I would negate that because Xavier got the apple fritter from Lard Lads, which is bigger than the Voodoo Donut apple fritter. Oh, is it? Jesus. And I would say it is closer in size to the Big Pink. Oh, okay. Right. Oh God, I underestimate how big the pink Big Pink was. Maybe I did. I mean, it sounds ridiculous because it's not in in terms of time since i ate that big pink donut it doesn't feel like i should have had enough time to eat so many donuts that i forgot what the big pink donut was like it just mm -hmm. so happens that because of that voodoo incident i have eaten 14 donuts since then <laughs> i can't That's remember what the big pink was like but to any normal person the big pink would have would still be crystal clear in their in their memory but um no look i'll be completely honest I would absolutely not recommend uh, that anyone necessarily uh, necessarily eat voodoo donuts in the context of a food challenge. Uh, 
I did have a good time, but I think if you want to give yourself the best possible chance of enjoying whichever voodoo donuts you decide to buy, just eat them like a normal person, you know, just have a donut, a cup of coffee, and then move on. <laughs> um, I tend to, from a food blogger perspective, I tend to get two donuts there when I go. I'll get one yeah, of the cra- I'll get one of the crazier ones, and then I'll get basically the same donut without the craziness. Yes. Yeah, um, there were a, there were a few donuts, a few of the crazier donuts that to me were kind of like they are one step back away from being a really nice donut. So, for example, what's the one? Is, is it the what's the one that's shaped the voodoo guy, the mascot donut? You mean the voodoo doll donut? The voodoo doll donut. So, for example, mm-hmm. that is like a jam donut with chocolate icing on top. It's also got a pretzel stuck in there, like a little bit of pretzel, I and mean, that that's relatively irrelevant if that even makes sense but basically that to me is either that 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 has the potential to be either a really nice chocolate donut or a really nice jam donut but the chocolate and the jam together i'm like no thanks that's just a little much for me um and i think xavier said repeatedly even as someone who as he repeatedly pointed out isn't a huge fan of chocolate anyway but even someone who isn't a massive fan of chocolate the chocolate kind of throughout that batch he bought seemed a little off and I would agree with that so that did kind of maybe skew um skew all of our perspectives a little bit on those chocolate ones specifically but uh I think my favorite ones were those I think the maple ones were pretty good uh the the kind of more basic glazed ones were nice the apple fritter was good and that first one I had I think benefited from being the first one I had because I was hungry and ready to eat some donuts at that time which what was that you said that one was kind of just kind of designed to almost resemble the experience of eating like an ice lolly um that orange one with the cream in the middle oh the the orange creamsicle i was wondering why i don't have a photo of that yeah the orange creamsicle it was designed to be like a treat in at least in my culture you give the little kids when it's hot outside and they make a mess because it melts all over them but it's got that kind of sugary semi-fake orange thing that but it actually works with this donut there's just enough cream in the middle of it i actually have that review somewhere on pirates and princesses of the orange cream sickle donut because i did that i did that a couple weeks ago yeah well i recommend you uh seeking out that review uh, because i'm sure it kind of covers it far more uh, eloquently than i am right now but yeah i thought that one was quite nice and i think if i hadn't had all those other donuts in front of me i would quite happily have finished that one uh but yeah it was a fun experience anyway it was it was an interesting insight into the life of a theme park food blogger i was glad to be there you use the word life like there is such a thing, but I get your point. <laughs> well, um, I mean, are there any, is there any other universal food uh, coverage or food items that you'd like to discuss outside those that we, I mean, we've covered the stuff that we experienced together, uh, Toothsome and, and Voodoo. Is there anything, is there anything else you had during your week here that you would, that you would want to mention? Well, I would, I would do want to mention and, I'm doing this selfishly because I probably had more crepes this trip than I've had any trip to Universal Orlando. You had the plant-based chicken crepe. Yes. And and you said it was you said it was really good. 
it was really good. Yeah, it was from Central Park Crepes in Universal Studios, uh, in the kind of yeah the in that bit that's done up to look like a little bit like Central Park, uh, kind of near the horror makeup show on the lakefront. New to me since I was last there. I believe it opened in 2020, so I hadn't been there before. And yeah, I went very much on your recommendation. I, I had the plant based. This was the day we went to Toothsome. So we'd gone our separate ways by then. I had ended up staying late enough to, you know, it was like half eight in the evening. The man on the tannoy had just announced that the nighttime show was starting in half an hour. And I thought, I've never seen that. Let's stay. I'll get a snack to see me through. And I got, I went to the pancake place. And uh, yeah, it was it was really nice. I really enjoyed it. I think the only knock against it is that service is pretty slow, but yep. the service is only slow because they're cooking those things fresh. Uh, and yeah, the crepe the and, crepes and to are, order, which is yes, which is, you know, fine. You know, you accept that. Uh, ironically, um, I and another podcaster were doing a tour around Studios Four for the best snacks, and we had been at that same stand about an hour before you. Ah, yeah. and so we we had gotten the Philly brisket um, crepe, and he didn't believe me that it was going to be good because well, I, all. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just going to say I I went in kind of interested and optimistic but also a little unsure because i don't think i'd ever really had a savory crepe before i think i'd only had them in a kind of sweet mm -hmm. uh, context so i was i was interested and no, i i very much uh enjoyed it good value as well i thought i think mine came in at about 11 dollars. yeah they're ten, the savory ones are 10.99 and for those of you who actually know this type of cuisine and we're saying the word savory crepe Please forgive us. They are marketed as savory crepes. I know many of you know them as galettes, oh. which which would be a closer comparison to what a savory crepe is. Um, but the um, the batter that is used for the savory crepes at Universal is is closer to a um, batter that's used for a standard sweet crepe. As opposed to if you were, if those of you go to visit Disneyland Paris, or you're actually from France, or any of those kind of things, you're you're going to tell me about the much different um, batter that's used. You may mention buckwheat. You may mention several other things. At Universal, it is a fairly similar batter. It's a little different, but similar batter, and so it is closer to a crepe batter. And so I just want to get that out there because I'm sure you're. People are screaming on screaming at us for calling them crepes. <laughs> well, funnily enough, growing up when crepes were crepes were like I was not familiar with like American style pancakes. Right. So crepes growing up, I were just pancakes to me. It's only it's basically since I went to Denny's for the first time, and that was when I first discovered this whole world of American style pancakes that we started making those at home and they became pancakes and what was previously pancakes to us became crepes yep so that we could distinguish between them when we were saying who wants pancakes or who wants crepes um so this what, what did you say galettes or something galettes uh, i believe it's spelled yeah. and i don't have my spell check in front of me. me it's spelled i think it's spelled g-a-l-e-t-t-s in english if, for instance, you were going to go to the La Creperie de Paris in Epcot. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
No, I did not, but I got close. Um, (laughs) I got the words right. I did not get the accent anywhere close. Um, Forgive me for being from the Southern U.S. Um, They are going to define their savory items as galettes and their sweet items as crepes. Ah, interesting. Well, uh, I saw people going to the uh, Creperie de Paris uh, while I was queuing for uh, Ratatouille. And to be honest, I thought... I thought those looked uh, well, worse. It sounds harsh. I didn't think they looked as good though as 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 the Universal uh, Central Park crepe. They uh, they they do not look as good. But I do want to give, as someone who does a lot of Universal food blogs, I do want to be fair that the counter service crepes are not as good as the table service crepes inside there. They have a table service version and a counter service version and the counter service ones are far inferior. Oh, fair, fair. Um, the, the, and another, I assume French term, I will screw up the prefixed menu that you can order there where you get a beverage, you get a savory galette, you get a crepe, maybe one of the better values in Epcot. I think right. it's about I think it's about 33 US. I think you get a salad too. Um, mm-hmm. I have to check the menu. But people who've ordered those from the table service, I've rarely heard anybody be critical of them. People who've ordered from the counter service, there have been lots of this doesn't taste right. Yeah. So and just, and the, and the appearance yeah. is bad. Yes, I was going to say um, it was more a kind of aesthetic impression that yep. I got. Uh, just see, they looked a little sad coming out on their little paper plates. Yes. One kind of one crepe folded over a few times. Mm-hmm. With a couple of strawberries kind of just looking at and thinking, oh, that thing I had the other night was kind of presented far more impressively. Like this, this was kind of like a prestige item almost. And, you know, we've a couple of, ironically, somewhat, we've, I think, both described it as a snack whilst actually recording this podcast, having decided pre-recording that they're probably too substantial to be considered a snack i mean i had it essentially for dinner and felt quite mm-hmm. um, uh quite well fed afterwards so uh, i yep. think it can work as that albeit you know i'd obviously had a heavier lunch than i would normally have at uh at toothsome uh yep. yeah I mean, any other food bits? I mean, we, we won't go into non-universal food because we'll be here for hours talking about yeah, we would be. Epcot's Food and Garden Festival, which uh, I experienced for the first time the other day and was quite impressed, actually. And um, They have done a good job with this most recent festival. They, they, had, yeah. they have less bad food options compared to some of the other food festivals. Yeah, no, um, I, but- I enjoyed it. Um, but the but the food there is is good. It's just you have to be concerned about the price point. But that's a standard discussion. I talk about this stuff all the time, so I don't know what I've talked about with the audience. So I'm just thinking of walking other people around. Uh, Bumblebee Man's taco truck um, is still one of the better deals at Universal. It's in the Springfield area. Um, I had the chicken tacos this time, and they were definitely a step up uh, compared to what you would get most places. Uh, oh, I can't believe I skipped this part. Um, I stayed at Aventura um, Hotel, the Bar 17 Bistro, which is the rooftop bar. I had the Bow Buns there. 
Um, they were pretty good. I'm not sure they were worth the price point. There was three of them for $18. I'm not sure they're worth the price point, but it was nice to see those back. And Urban Pantry, which is the f- best food court at Universal Orlando, because um, I have friends who aren't who don't stay there and eat at that food court for that reason. Mm. Um, they've expanded their menu, brought it back to something that was a lot better. For those of you unfamiliar with the Universal Hotels, Aventura would probably be the equivalent of a moderate hotel at Disney. It's not really a fair comparison, but visualize a moderate hotel, except I had it at Universal, so I paid half to maybe less than half of what I would have paid at Walt Disney World. Oh, okay. I mean, I paid 110, I paid 110 US a night. Yeah, that's pretty good. For an on-site hotel with with clearly moderate level amenities. Now, my friends who dislike Aventura, their criticism is there's very low theming and it's not really designed for children. Well, I'm a 50 something year old man with gray hair (laughs) whose kid has moved out of the house. Um, Guess what? My, My friends who are single or who are that stage of life they think Aventura is a godsend. Yeah. And the, and the best part about staying at Aventura, I know I've taken over this to be a hotel review, even though this is probably my worst stay ever at Aventura. The best part about Aventura is no matter what room you're in, you are you can make it to your room in a matter of minutes. You don't need this 15-minute trek like yeah. you do it sometimes at, at Cabana Bay sometimes. And mm-hmm. so the food quality is, was very good. They've added a lot more non-traditional items, which I think is always incredible. I mean, to make a comparison, I really appreciate that Epcot has added the Connections Cafe. Yeah, we went in there actually the other day. It's, it's nice, and I mean, we only went in for a Starbucks, right. but it's big. It's 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 big and it's it's clean, not just in the literal sense. It's clean, but like visually, aesthetically, right. like it. It's, it it's, suits Epcot very nice, right. but it's, it's, you know, a lot of the Starbucks locations at the parks, both Disney and Universal, I mean, that one opposite the Cross on Moon, for example, can get absolutely hellish. They can feel very overwhelming and loud and the service is slow. And that's not a knock on the baristas, by the way. That's just because they have a damn lot of orders to deal with. But the mm-hmm. Connections Cafe in Epcot, it was serene in comparison. Like we sat in there, we could hear each other talk. I could hear myself think. Service was pretty quick. I was, yeah, it was, it was the best Starbucks theme park experience of the trip so far, for sure. Well, you you just made this podcast go longer because two um, two things. One, <laughs> what I was gonna what I was gonna say about the Connections Cafe is, even though I've heard reasonably good things, they're serving traditional theme park food: burgers, chicken sandwiches. Um, the Urban Pantry at Aventura. Um, there's a wok station. There's a sushi station. I ordered a I ordered a poke bowl that I still need to write that review on. Um, I ordered a turkey burger that I started that review. Um, lots of kind of things like that. They have a brick oven style pizza place. The best selling point for staying at a Universal Orlando hotel for many people is every single one of your hotels in some way is going to have a Starbucks in the lobby. And at Aventura, the Starbucks in the lobby almost never has a wait more than five or six people. Oh, bliss. Because I started with a rule of, because I have the Starbucks app, I started with a rule of anytime I saw less than two people in line, I would get something from Starbucks. 
Well, at that became I was going to run through my thirty, forty dollars on my Starbucks <laughs> app really quickly doing that. Um, and so, and so I stopped. Oh, and did I mention at Universal at Starbucks, if you're an annual pass holder, you get a discount. You get a discount on Starbucks. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yes, and now we're I'm totally hijacking. These are just random things that I tested during the trip. If you at the airports in the U.S., you can use your U.S. Starbucks app. Sorry, those be in the U.K. You can use your U.S. Starbucks app to mobile order from the airport Starbucks location. I did it flying back from Orlando to Chicago. There were about 40 people in line at Starbucks. I pushed the button, used my star reward so that it was free, and my drink was ready exactly when they said eight minutes later. I picked it up, just kept walking. Well, and so absolute expert here at bypassing long lines, whether it's yes. a theme park or an airport Starbucks, it doesn't matter. Right. And I've written a lot about this. Um, if you go to Disney Springs and you have Starbucks rewards, um, you can use your Starbucks rewards at Disney Springs, uh, whereas you can't use them in the park. Um, oh. I, I really, really enjoyed my last Disney Springs whirlwind eating trip, ordering from Starbucks four times and never having to pay the whole time. It was nice. Yeah, that does sound good. That is a nice Starbucks as well, actually. Yes. Sorry, Swish, you, you, you put us on the Starbucks sidetrack, so I want to be sure. But I was just um, – Universal is, in partnership with Lowe's, has done a really good job of trying to create decent food and, and quality hotels – and even though I'm starting to get whiny because they're starting to raise the prices, this is a criticism of Walt Disney World, but I'm not blaming them really because if people will pay it, they should keep doing it. The hotels at Walt Disney World have gotten outrageous. Mm. And um, I had a friend who who was at Walt Disney World the same time that I was in Orlando last week. And they were looking at paying two, almost $200 for a night at the All-Stars. Wow. And I need to say this with all due respect, the dockside, surfside value hotels at Universal that are half that price are way better than the All-Stars. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> funny enough, I mean, I've enjoyed this trip so much so far and it's um, it's made me kind of tentatively look at sort of, oh, you know, if I wanted to come here by myself and I was on more of a budget, well, these hotels uh, suit me at all. And those are Universal ones you just mentioned there, the mm-hmm. dockside and surfside. Yeah, those are the cheapest ones going, it seems. Uh, yeah. Well, we can talk offline. I can help you with that. Maybe, yeah. But no, you've certainly um, you've certainly made Aventura sound like an attractive destination. We're gonna have, they're gonna have an influx of Park Rush listeners bombarding them with with booking requests. Uh, well, there are dozens already, of them, John. Dozens I'm already of them. I'm already staying at Aventura. I've already got Aventura booked, or a group of us have Aventura booked for a nine person suite. Um, for Halloween Horror Nights in September. Oh, nice. do want to do Horror Nights at some point. Um, it's unlikely to pan out this year, but uh, it's on the bucket list for sure. Well, uh, we have we have covered a lot of bases there, I feel. I think there's been, you know, a rare thing for the Park Rush podcast, frankly, but some genuinely good travel advice there, uh, for the parks for, uh, in terms of rides, but also... Uh, food locations, hotels, Starbucks. Uh, we've, we've, we've. This is almost like a moderately professional travel advice show, rather than just a kind of 
Well, I will be I will be interested to see what random quote you use as a title for this. Oh, God knows. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> no idea. I might do something vaguely, as I say, professional and actually sort of make it sound like a useful a useful resource for people, you know. Uh, maybe, Sorry, pe- maybe people, can, people cannot see my face right now when you say that. I'm I'm shocked. Well, it will look very out of place next to all the other episodes, but, you know, I don't want to undersell this. This might be genuinely useful to people. In fairness, you, and, in fairness, you did attempt, and from uh, what I recall, you did do some kind of real news um, on the Florida bill that yeah. got a name that doesn't reflect what it is, but probably shouldn't have gotten passed, but that's a whole different discussion. You know, you every so often there's real news happening on the Park Rush podcast. Yeah. Every so often is maybe a little generous. Well, I, I am a pastor. I was speaking pastorally. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it. This uh, this is once I've stitched that intro on, uh, it's going to be the longest episode ever, I think, possibly. But, you know, this is what happens when the Park Rush team actually go to a theme park. Who would Who would have thought that it would give you more to talk about than just relying on Disney World News Today and Theme Park mm-hmm. Insider and the occasional visit to Thorpe Park, which we're really stretching thin in terms of what there is to say right. about Thorpe Park at this point, with all due respect to Thorpe Park. Um, Thorpe Park, which to get in costs less than some quick service meals at these Orlando theme parks, just to put it into context. Uh, yeah i think that's fair uh but that's gonna do it uh if you've enjoyed the show and have not subscribed you can do so on your preferred podcasting app of choice we are on all of them and uh, you can also find us at parkrush.com if you want to get in touch with the show you can email podcast at parkrush.com you can tweet at parkrush podcast or you can send us a voice note as well there are details on how to, how to do that in the show notes uh, I and don't forget, don't forget about the Park Rush podcast YouTube channel. Oh gosh, yeah, I did nearly forget. We've been uploading, we've been getting into the YouTube Shorts game. Both me here in Florida, but also Josh uh, from Flambards, where he was the other day, which uh, looked like quite good fun actually. And um, if you haven't listened to it, he did a fantastically uh, pure uh, and enjoyable episode on his time at Flambards with his mum which I listened to earlier today, and I must say it was an absolute delight uh, and made me want to be a less cynical person moving forward. (laughs) It was just (laughs) lovely. So do listen to that. It will brighten your day of that, I have no doubt. Uh, But until next week, uh, we'll be back uh, on British shores. That's going to do it for the Parkrush podcast. Thanks very much, uh, John, for joining me. Uh, As a final thing, where can people find you and your work? Well, as I usually tell people, um, I, as a gray-haired Caucasian male, I spend way too much time on Twitter. So you can easily find me at Pastor John. Uh, John is spelled J-O-N because H's are O. Um, self. Um, and the primary places you can find the stuff that I'm writing that gets published is piratesandprincesses.net. <laughs> um, there's a whole bunch of sites in which they have stuff on hold. That's kind of a writing joke. Um, Universal Food Blog and Universal Family Vacations. Uh, there's a few other places that have articles that they're waiting to publish for some odd reason. And they haven't. I take that as a compliment because I was chatting with 
a real reporter at USA Today, and he said one of the, that USA Today has one of his articles that has been on hold for six months because they wanted to come out at just the right time. So yeah. you never know what that's going to mean. And yeah. so I I know that sitting in my queue for Pirates and Princesses is a review of a new vegetarian flatbread. Spoiler, it's actually good. Um, and several other um, things like that. So if you're looking t- to try to save your wait times in the park or save your money, save your food money in the park, shameless plug, look me up at Pirates and Princesses. I've probably written 200 articles about that in the last 15 weeks. Yeah, no, I, I was just on there during recording here, and I was on your profile on that site, and I think it said you'd written something like 374 articles. Yep, and I've only been writing for them since October, maybe? Clear me, Nick. Yeah. Wow, how do you fit it all in? Because I dedicate, I dedicate four hours on my day off to sit and do nothing but type. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and of course, as we mentioned um, when we talked about this stuff on the show, as well as everything that John writes about, some of the stuff that uh, we were fortunate enough to be involved with uh, during our, our time at Universal, uh, I came, uh, I come here for the food uh, on YouTube, uh, a fun walk around the Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure parks uh, that we both feature on. Uh, that's up on the, as I say there, I come here for the food YouTube channel. And then this donut challenge uh, will end up somewhere, I'm sure, on the Universal Food blog platforms uh, over the coming weeks, I guess. Uh, Keep an eye out for that. That should be quite fun. Uh, But yeah, thanks very much for listening. Stay safe and take it easy out there, everyone. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.